You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover all of the news around baseball, highlight some player performances, and recommend some pitching and hitter streamers for the week ahead. But before we get into that, John, how are you doing anything new in your life so far? Not much. Uh, It's been a pretty good fantasy baseball week for me uh, in my home league. I'm currently 12-0-0 in categories. Okay. And... uh, It'll probably will end up being eleven one zero because the guy has me in Cape and I. He just doesn't have enough starts yet. Okay, but um, yeah, I I can't can't complain with that kind of that kind of week. So uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. We call that in our league. It's a ten team category league, but we call that a perfect week if you ten zero someone because each okay, one yeah. counts. So yep. it's not just a win if you win the week. Right. Yep. Same. Yeah. So we call that a perfect week. So hey, you're on the verge of a perfect week, my friend. That's a pretty good week. Yeah, it could be real fun. I mean, it's our our league is kind of interesting in that playoffs start in the uh, middle of July. Oh, so right. This is the league fully... you told me about ages ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of the the league where you know it, it's starting to ramp up to the end of the season, and so you got to be kind of be on your game here because you got to be ready for the playoffs. That's crazy to think when when you say <laughs> the league is <laughs> winding down. <laughs> I know. The playoffs are coming soon. We're not even halfway through the season yet. Right, exactly. I mean, our season does end, you know, like end of August. Right. Know, so that's, that's kind of normal. But at the same time, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that in yeah about about four weeks, um, games are going to start to matter. <laughs> and, you know, once you uh, once you lose, you're out. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tightening up a little bit. Yeah, that's wild. We're actually in, I guess, in our league, we have 22 weeks in my home league. And that's regular season and then two weeks of playoffs. So we are in week 11 right now. So we're technically at the halfway point of the regular season. So it's funny to think Mm -hmm. that in a month for you, your season's just beginning for the playoffs. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's a completely different vibe than a standard league. Right. Yeah. On a sad note, I did miss out on Ellie De La Cruz and TGFBI, but I also didn't have enough budget to bid for him anyways. So how much did he go for? He went for $502 in my league. Wow. Oh, yeah. my God. He didn't go for that much in mine. So in my TGFBI league, he went for $393. Yeah, wow. Okay. And the runner-up was 311 and I only have like $240 in my budget, and I did not get yeah. him, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And then in my other league in NFBC, he actually went for $451 with a runner-up of 369 So, yeah, I told you last podcast that he was going to fetch over 300 And like I said, I could see people going up to five. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts, you know. The, imagine, like, spending half your fab on, you know, one player. But Ellie's been electric. Um, he's he's kind of looking every bit the part of the future star that a lot of people were expecting him to be. And... Um, yeah, the strikeout numbers aren't great, but at the same time, you know, he's a young player and uh, there's still plenty of room for him to grow. Yeah, a lot of people were worrying about the strikeout rate and whatnot. And yes, he struck out a lot and he doesn't have a hit in his last three games. But the thing I can say is that he's gotten a counting stat in every single game except for the last one that he played on June 14th. He's literally gotten from June 6th, his debut, one run, 
a homer, two RBI, two runs, one steal, one run, a run, an RBI, and a steal, two runs, an RBI, and a steal, a steal, a run, and a steal, and then nothing. So as long as you're getting <laughs> counting stats from Ellie, that's all you want. Right. Like if he strikes out a billion times, I don't care if he ends with a 25 home or 15 steal line, I could care less. <laughs> I don't care how much he strikes out. Yeah, I mean, sometimes all you need are the counting stats and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, analytics, people love to say an out is an out. Doesn't matter if it's a strikeout or a flyout or something like that. As long as he's, you know, still racking up the counting strikes and having pretty decent ratios, got to be pretty happy with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. And please, if you don't mind, take a few minutes and leave a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to us, it helps us out a lot. Now, let's get into the MLB news since our last podcast. We start with Jordan Alvarez of the Astros. He will miss four weeks due to that oblique discomfort. Astros general manager Dana Brown confirmed that Alvarez underwent an MRI that allowed the club to determine a clearer timetable for his potential return. He should be back after the All-Star break, considering he'll miss four weeks, then he has to ramp back up, and then there's going to be the break anyway, so you can expect some time around the All-Star break, either just before or right after. I'm going to assume right after, and I'm upset about it because I have two shares of Alvarez, and that's two shares where I'm sad. Aaron Judge of the Yankees is still without a timetable for his return. However, he received a PRP injection last week and is reportedly feeling better. I still don't think this is going to last a long time. I think he'll be back before the All-Star break. We just don't know for sure, so hopefully he's back soon as well. Once again, two shares of him, two shares of sadness. More sad news, Vinny Pasquantino of the Royals will undergo season-ending surgery to repair a torn labrum in his right shoulder. Pasquantino was a super popular sleeper option at first base in drafts this season, and it's a shame to see him miss the remainder of the season due to injury. Hopefully, you'll be fully healthy and perform well in 2024. Vinny, we will be looking forward to that. Byron Buxton of the Twins was activated from the 10-day IL on Thursday. Buxton hasn't played since June 2nd with a left rib contusion. In a corresponding move to that, Trevor Larnick was sent down to AAA. Max Muncy of the Dodgers was originally said to have a grade 2 hamstring strain. We were told by Dave Roberts that it's a grade 2 hamstring strain, but he wouldn't be going on the IL, and he'd hopefully be back on Saturday, which I originally found weird and, like, scratched my head at, because a grade 2 hamstring strain usually means an immediate IL stint. John and I were actually just talking about this before we started the podcast, and we were both really confused about this, because when you hear grade 2, you assume the worst. There's only three grades. Grade 1 is all right, you can get through it, it's just a little sore. Grade 2 is more of like a pull, and then grade 3 is a tear. So grade 3 obviously being the worst. Grade 2, you're out for a pretty long time. But on Thursday, Muncy was on a show called Foul Territory and said that there was a media goof and confirmed that it's not a grade 2 hamstring strain. It's a low-grade strain. He said, if it was a grade 2, you're looking at a month, two months. Thankfully, that's not what I'm looking at right now. So keep an eye on Muncy's status, but it sounds like he's okay and should return this weekend. John, what do you think about this whole mess? How does the media goof this up? <laughs> I mean, part of it's got to be Dave Roberts' issue, right? Like, he Right, he must have misread up, something, right? Yeah, he straight up just called it a grade two hamstring strain. And like, you know, I think everyone 
basically went into MM- WebMD and was like, what is a grade two hamstring strain? <laughs> and it was like, this has a two month recovery period. And it, yeah, that was nuts. And it was interesting because at first when he got pulled, um, Robert said, oh, you know, we're, we're going to give a couple days of rest and he'll be back on Thursday. And then he went to the media and said, it's great too. And everyone's just like, wait, you said Thursday. Now he's like out like, forever. Out for, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll tell past, past the all-star break. So that was a little scary, but um, it's good to see that he's at least going to be back by the end of this weekend. No one needs to freak out just yet and find a new second baseman. Thankfully on my uh, home league where I have Muncie, I had Tyro Estrada kind of pop in and he's been, you know, okay but uh i will be very glad to have muncie back in that starting second baseman spot on my team yeah muncie has been super valuable in fantasy this season on yahoo he has second base and third base eligibility and he's got 18 homers 45 rbi even one steal he's ranked 28 on yahoo at the moment so he's performing really well and it would stink if he missed a prolonged amount of time but muncie is a little injury prone and he isn't the youngest player on the field for sure so Hopefully this is nothing. He comes back on Saturday and everything's cool. So hopefully when you're listening to this on Saturday, Muncy's back in the lineup. Julio Urias of the Dodgers did not return from the IL on Sunday as expected. During a bullpen session, Urias experienced some left hamstring discomfort. God, these Dodgers with their hamstrings. Come on, guys. Manager Dave Roberts said that Urias will require at least one minor league rehab start before returning. He threw a bullpen on Wednesday and seems on track for that rehab assignment soon. Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Marlins told reporters Monday that he'll need to undergo off-season foot surgery. Although he needs off-season surgery, it won't stop him from returning for this season. He's begun taking batting practice and appears to be on the verge of returning to Miami's lineup in the next few weeks after landing on the injured list back in mid-May due to turf toe. John Gray of the Rangers was scratched from his start on Tuesday with a blister. He's lined up to start on Sunday against the Blue Jays. Cody Bellinger of the Cubs was activated from the 10-day IL on Thursday, June 15th. He missed about a month of time due to a severe left knee contusion. While Bellinger was on his rehab assignment, he played at first base, and it's rumored that he'll be playing more first base than outfield moving forward. On Thursday, in his first game back, he batted sixth and started at first base. In a corresponding move to this, Matt Mervis was optioned to AAA. Justin Steele of the Cubs threw a bullpen session on Tuesday. He's targeting a return to Chicago starting rotation for Saturday's game against the Orioles and appears to be on track. Salvador Perez of the Royals is day-to-day with a left-hand contusion. He was hit on his hand with a Ben Lively fastball and proceeded to leave the game on Wednesday. X-rays came back negative for any fractures, so that's good. Joe Musgrove of the Padres says he's been dealing with bursitis in his elbow. Musgrove said, I had some elbow issues early in spring, possibly from the hyperbaric chamber. We went to Mexico and it blew up in Mexico, just really swollen. Since then, it has been manageable, but it seems like the elevation and pressurized areas are causing more and more trouble. I'm not sure how confident I am in Musgrove for the rest of the season because this doesn't sound too great. John, any opinions on this? I mean, pretty sketchy. I Man, any time a pitcher says, I have elbow issues, but I'm going to be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it um, yeah, I mean, there there is reality where, like, some of these things you can manage, right? Um, but at the same time, like, it's still going to affect him pitching-wise, and, you know, maybe this results in some maybe a little bit lower velocity, or maybe he starts compensating it with, I don't know, more shoulder or something like that. Like, it's just really never good for uh, for any pitcher to be dealing with any arm injuries and then pitch kind of through it, so. yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you in, in not feeling too confident about Musgrove. Um, 
I, I definitely would not be chasing him right now in any leagues if, if I was looking to trade for a pitcher. Yeah, I'm definitely worried. If in your league someone's not really up to date and thinks this is no problem and isn't worried by it, I would try to flip Musgrove for a pitcher around the same caliber. I really don't know what that would entail. Maybe you can get like a Bryce Miller or a Bobby Miller, someone that you could take an upside chance on. Maybe you can flip him for like Jesus Lazardo, although he hasn't been too great. But I don't know. I'm kind of scared about this Musgrove stuff because especially if he's worrying about elevation and pressurized areas, he can't go to Colorado. Arizona might give him some issues. Like, I don't know. Just doesn't seem too good. So keep an eye on Joe Musgrove because he is kind of sketchy right now. Lars Nupar of the Cardinals is set to begin a rehab assignment with AAA Memphis. He should return early next week if everything goes well and the back issues don't reappear. He's been on the IL since May 30th. Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to June 10th with a right forearm strain. Original tests on Helsley's injured right forearm came back negative, and after a second round of imaging, it's said that the concern is minimal. Giovanni Gallegos will most likely see the majority of saves for now, but hopefully Helsley will be okay. Zach Neto of the Angels was placed on the 10-day IL with a left oblique strain. Brandon Drury of the Angels was suspended for one game after making contact with an umpire in Monday's game. He served his suspension on Thursday. Nick Lodolo of the Reds is unlikely to return until early August. Reds manager David Bell told reporters that he could return in four to six weeks. Lodolo has been on the shelf since early May due to left calf tendinosis. Jake Fraley of the Reds was placed on the 10-day IL retroactive to June 8th with a right wrist contusion. He's expected to return when first eligible. Mike Clevenger of the White Sox was removed from Wednesday's start against the Dodgers due to right bicep soreness. Liam Hendricks of the White Sox was placed on the 15-day IL due to right elbow inflammation. He's received a PRP injection and a cortisone shot since being placed on the IL. But come on, baseball gods, like, let this man just be healthy after everything that he's been through. Don't give him elbow problems as well. We don't need that. Drew Smith of the Mets has received a 10-game suspension following his ejection from Tuesday's contest against the Yankees for the use of an illegal foreign substance. All I'll say is sweat and rosin. And no, I'm not just playing favorites for the Mets. If a Mets player was cheating, I would come right out and say it, but it was just sweat and rosin. He didn't even throw a pitch in that outing, so very strange. Pete Fairbanks of the Rays was activated from the 15-day IL on Thursday. Fairbanks missed 18 days with hip inflammation. Lance McCullers Jr. of the Astros underwent season-ending surgery Tuesday on his right forearm to repair a flexor tendon and remove a bone spur. McCullers never pitched in 2023 because of what the Astros said for weeks was a low-grade muscle strain in his forearm. Unfortunate news for a guy who just can't find a way to stay healthy. J.D. Davis of the Giants has been diagnosed with a grade 1 right ankle sprain. Even though it's the least severe of sprains, he'll most likely have to be put on the I.L., as of Thursday night when we're recording this, he hasn't been put on the IL yet, so just keep an eye out on his status, and if he moves to the IL, move him into that spot. Mitch Hanniger of the Giants was placed on the 10-day IL with a right forearm fracture. He underwent surgery on Thursday to repair that right forearm. There's no timetable for his return, but an injury like this usually warrants a 3-6 to six month recovery process. In a corresponding move, the Giants called up Luis Matos from AAA on Wednesday, June 14th, Matos was the fourth best prospect in their organization, according to MLB Pipeline. He has a contact forward approach with decent pop and good speed. In any 12-team league or deeper or five outfield leagues, 
Matos should be picked up from the wire. Give the guy a chance. If he pans out, great. If not, cut bait. And last but not least, the Orioles called up Joey Ortiz from AAA Norfolk on Wednesday, June 14th. Ortiz was the sixth best prospect in their organization, according to MLB Pipeline. In the minors, he was batting 328 with 18 extra base hits in 32 games. Throw him on the watch list and see if he gets everyday playing time before you run to pick him up, but he does have some promise. John, any notes on this list before we move on? Uh, Probably the main strange thing here is probably the whole Jazz Chisholm situation where it's like, I, I know I need surgery, but I'm still going to come out and play. I mean, he's been decent uh in his transition to center field um he hasn't been as electric mainly because injuries have kind of sapped a lot of that that production um but man he just can't stay healthy which kind of sucks for a guy who is as electric as chisholm um and then uh you know when we did our spring training preview uh pods i was very interested in seeing how lance mccullers was going to do because when everything is firing for him, he's he's a really solid guy. But the worry with him is always injury. And you know, lo and behold, he is no long. He is uh, basically not on track to play at all this season. And hopefully, hopefully, he can get back next season fully healthy. But um, knowing his track record, that's probably going to be unlikely. Yeah, McCullers is always a headache for me. I want to buy in so bad because the stuff is nasty. And when he's healthy and on the mound, he's great. He's so good. He has so much potential. But I'm just so out on him because. I haven't seen him pitch more than like three starts in a row in the last many years. So I can't trust it. It's kind of like what Tyler Glasnow is going through where he's so dominant when he's healthy and on the mound, but we just haven't seen enough of it. So hopefully he's not on the same track as McCullers, but yeah, no, it's not looking good for Lance McCullers. And then as you pointed out with Jazz Chisholm, the only thing I can say, obviously it's definitely worrisome that he needs offseason surgery, but it's going to be playing through it. Harper last season also needed surgery technically, but played like the whole season while having that issue. So there is some cases where players know they need surgery and maybe aren't playing 100%, but they can squeeze it out at 90%. So I'm not too worried about Chisholm playing this season, but he might not be his normal self. He probably won't run very much. That's the one thing I can say is he probably won't steal a lot of bases if he's dealing with a toe injury. So that's the one downside to that. But Hopefully he's okay because why would you push yourself if you know you need surgery and it's bad, you know? Well, and he's also at a more mobile position in in center field as opposed to being in second base. Yeah, that's definitely a little bit of an issue for Jazz Chisholm. And hopefully he's okay because the MLB The Show 23 cover athlete needs to be healthy and on the field. But before we get into the weekly performance recap for this week, we will take a quick break. So stay tuned. All right, we are back, and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the PitcherList website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But John, how did the weekend go? Who stood out to you the most? Yeah, we'll start on Friday with Jordan Walker of the St. Louis Cardinals. Three for four with the homer, two runs, and two RBI. Uh, since he's returned for AAA, the Cardinals rookie outfielder has hit 326 uh, with two homers, including one last Friday that flew off his bat at 109 miles an hour and traveled 430 feet. He's also added six RBI uh, in that time as well. He also has improved discipline. He's been striking out less and walking more. You know, small sample size and everything, but that's improvement nonetheless. The cards might be in all sorts of dysfunction right now, but Walker has been a bright spot in the month of June. 
if he's available in your league and you need some outfield help, it would not be a bad idea to pick him up during this hot streak. On Saturday, Corey Seager of the Texas Rangers went 5-for-5 five five with a double, a homer, two runs, and four RBI. Seager's been making up for lost time after dealing with an early season injury. In 163 play appearances this season, he's got 27 runs, 9 homers, 36 RBI, and he's also batting 357. We talked about it him a couple weeks ago, and we cautioned that, you know, yes, he does have these really high ratios, but maybe that's just a result of smaller sample size. But at this point, through that many plate appearances, it's kind of hard to ignore that he's top three in average OBP and slugging throughout the league. And he's also outperforming the entire league in both expected average and expected WOBA, at least when Pitcherless uh, calculates, uh, when we do our own calculations for X average and X WOBA. So it, basically, he's doing everything that he should be. And he clearly, this is clearly not a fluke. Um, this is the real deal. So he's pretty much contributing also in every single category for you, except for steals. Uh, with this performance on Saturday. So, you know, Corey Seager just doing uh, crazy things. If if he didn't miss that many games, he'd probably be in the surefire running for MVP with the way his season's going. Uh, but we'll see if he'll be able to make up for lost time in the next few months. And then finally on Sunday, Jock Peterson of the Giants went four for four with two homers, four runs, four RBI, and a walk. Uh, Jock had been out for nearly a month on the injury list before coming back last Tuesday. And to keep the trend going for players who are hot in June, he's been really good. He has a 423 average uh, along with the two homers from Sunday's game and then six RBI total. His advanced metrics seem to indicate that a really good year is coming, making good hard contact. He's not striking out a lot. Um, the X average and X F Woba are looking good for him. Um, so if you have a spot on your roster for an outfielder who can likely help in most categories, obviously he's not going to steal a lot. Uh, I would check out Jock Peterson. For anyone who hung on to Jordan Walker after he got sent down, you're finally getting paid off. It's awesome to see that he's succeeding now because you don't want to see a guy who had so much hype and potential going into the season just struggle and get off to such a poor start. So it's great to see that he's getting playing time. It's great to see that he's succeeding. So shout out to you, Jordan Walker. Hopefully you can keep it up for the rest of the year. Corey Seager, absolute stud. Absolute stud. So happy to have a few shares of him. I just want him to stay healthy and just keep going because he's been so good. And then Jock Peterson, he's been on and off. He's such a hot and cold hitter, but when he's on a hot streak like this, you just got to ride him out, especially even in three outfield leagues. Just grab him while he's on this hot streak, and then the second you see like two back-to-back 0-for-4 games, just cut bait because you know he's going to go on that cold streak. So lots of up and down with Jock Peterson, but when he's hot, he is hot. Yeah, moving on to pitchers then, a player who's been hot and cold this season, Dylan Cease of uh, the White Sox. He got a no decision against Miami on Friday. Pitched for six innings with one and run, four hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts. This, of course, was a hot start for him uh, because he had the slider, even though it wasn't working, the fastball and curveball were. After a Cy Young caliber season last year, he's kind of followed up this entire season with a dud. Um, through 14 starts, his ERA has almost doubled from last year's mark. And while he's not walking guys more, which was always kind of the you know thing with Cease where his command was all over the place, um, he's giving up a lot more hard contact, 30.2% compared to last year's mark of 18.3%. So the good thing about this start, like I mentioned, slider wasn't that great, and that's been his you know best pitch, arguably one of the better pitches in baseball. But the fastball and curve were getting, you know, getting strikes, and we're making up for the lack of production from that slider. Um, if his fastball and curve can be more consistent this year, he'll be able to make up for the fact that his slider isn't generating as many whips as it did last year. And perhaps that means he can ultimately turn it around and become an ace again. But I wouldn't hold my breath. 
Uh, on Saturday, then, Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs uh, was uh, against the Giants, got a win. He went eight innings with zero earned runs, one hit, one walk, and three strikeouts. Uh, wow, Kyle Hendricks is actually alive. I uh, did not was not aware that he could possibly pull out these types of uh, of results. Uh, it was actually kind of impressive as he recorded five total hits, walks, and strikeouts, which um, basically counts as a really good real-life performance, but kind of a meh fantasy performance. I mean, eight innings with three strikeouts, you don't love it, but you do love the one hit and one walk and zero earned runs. Is he a viable fantasy pickup for the rest of the season? Um, probably not. Uh, he does have a decent matchup coming up against Pittsburgh, so if you can stomach the lack of strikeouts, then maybe go for it. I just wouldn't expect eight shutout innings. And then on Sunday, Blake Snell of the Padres went up against Colorado in Colorado, came away with a no decision, pitched for seven innings with one and run, three hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. Before you get super excited about Snell's performance, uh, as evidence that he's back to A status, in this start, he did have some pretty poor command as the four-seamer only found the zone 45% of the time. And the Rockies helped his curveball look great with nine whiffs, even though it only had a 22% zone rate. Basically, this type of start felt like luck more than an actual demonstration of skill. And I would check out Nick's player breakdown on YouTube if you want to see more from this start. Yeah, so Dylan Cease, you know, I was off of him going into the season just because he's so wild. And you can never know if his walks will be in check or not. And I rostered him the season before last season. And it was just maddening because it always seemed like that first inning he got into so much trouble and gave up so many runs. I don't know. Dylan Cease just kind of turns my stomach a little bit. But he has been okay this season. Not fantastic. He's still getting strikeouts and whatnot, of course. But, yeah, it's a big disappointment. I actually saw something the other week. Now, these numbers have probably updated. I know Cease's ERA is a little bit lower. Verlander's ERA is a little bit lower. But there was a tweet. It was... MLB ERA leaders last year and what their ERA is this year. And this comes from at Yankee World on Twitter. And basically the ERA leaders last year were Verlander, Urias, Cease, Manoa, and Alcantara in that order. Verlander had a 1.75, Urias 2.16, Cease 2.20, Manoa 2.24, and Alcantara 2.28. Well, their ERAs this season, Verlander 4.85. Once again, that's updated since this tweet. Urias 4.39, Cease 4.63, once again, updated since his tweet, Manoa 6.36, and he's now in the Rookie Complex League, and Alcantara 5.07. So, yeah, doesn't look too good for the ERA leaders last season and how they're performing this year. Now, I think they'll all turn it around. They're all great pitchers, but you never know, man. It's pretty wild that pitching can just flip on its head at some points. For Kyle Hendricks, it's cool that he's back. It's awesome to see that he's doing something. Like you said, hey, look, he's alive. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend him for any fantasy purposes. Maybe if he goes on a good run, you can trust him against lower offenses in a streaming scenario, like what John recommended against the Pirates coming up. So I don't know. I still would be weary of Kyle Hendricks, but it's great to see him back. And then Blake Snell has been on such a good streak. His last four outings have been really good. Now, he did get fortunate with this one because he was kind of wild and ineffective and the Rockies really made him look way better than what he deserved to have as a final line. But man, at Washington on May 25th, five innings, six strikeouts, 1.80 ERA. May 31st against the Marlins, six innings pitched, seven Ks, no earned runs. 
June 5th against the Cubs, six innings pitched, eight Ks, no earned runs. And then at Colorado, which if you started him, you've got some massive cojones because I didn't plan on it. But he has been good, but he went seven innings, 12 Ks, and a 1.29 ERA. Just good stuff out of Snell, who's been really bad this season. So it's nice to see a little hot streak out of him because when he's on, he's on. And he's usually a second half pitcher. Like we saw last season, he was horrible the whole year. And then in the second half, he went on some miracle stretch that just dominated. So it's good to see that Snell is kind of back on the right track, but you never know with him. He could turn into a pumpkin in the blink of an eye. Yeah, the thing with Snell is ultimately, like, he's a really solid, let's just say, like a top 30 pitcher, right? But I think everyone's hoping Snell can become like a top 15 guy. Yes. And, like, he reels you in with these starts, right? It's like, oh, wow, like, you know, you know, one run, no runs. He's getting, like, a lot of strikeouts. And it's like, oh, this is really, really good. And then... And then he follows it up with like three straight starts where he gives up like five hundred runs, and you're just yep. like, "Come on, where where was this Snell the whole time?" So yeah, it's it's a little unfortunate, but um, he's kind of one of those guys where if you pick him up at the right time, it works out really well, and then maybe you can sell high and and get some good return for him. Yeah, he's a great guy to pick up during a great schedule and ride him out, see if he does well, and if he does well, flip him for whatever you can get because sure he could keep it up, but the chances are that he kind of has some up and down starts that you don't really feel comfortable with. Right. Yep. Moving on to Monday, June 12th from the daily hitting recap article by Gabe Gorelnik. We start with JT real Muto of the Phillies. He went four for four with three runs, a Homer three RBI and a walk. Those four hits that he had were a single, a double, a triple and a Homer to give real Muto the cycle in Arizona. Up until this week, Real Muto has kind of felt underwhelming for fantasy production. He currently has a 260, 310, 484 slash line with 7 homers and 10 stolen bases, which is more than good from the catcher position. Real Muto also leads catchers in doubles this season, which is very good. Before this game, though, he was 0 for 13 in his last 4 games. However, this week, he's caught fire going 7 for 12 with 7 runs, 2 homers, 6 RBI, and a stolen base. The Phillies seem to be finding their groove recently, and offense is contagious. Real Muto should continue to be a top three catcher for fantasy this season, and he's still one of the only real options that will provide stolen bases from the position. Obviously, Dalton Varsho gives steals as well, but after this season, he probably won't have catcher eligibility, so Real Muto's still a rock for steals from the catcher spot, but Real Muto, just a solid guy that's finally coming around and clicking and giving you the stats that you want for this season. Next, we have Leody Taveras of the Rangers, who went 3-for-5 with a double, a walk, and a steal. Fun fact, Leody Taveras is having an incredible season. If you didn't know, now you know. You're welcome. Analysis over. We're done here. No, but really, his current slash line is 305, 364, 481, and this is out of the 9-hole for the Rangers. He has 32 runs, 28 RBI, 6 home runs, and 7 stolen bases. Also, none of this is a fluke, because his stat cast page is red everywhere with the exception of barrel percentage everything else is just bleeding red some highlights from that statcast page are that his xba is in the 94th percentile sprint speed is in the 95th percentile and average exit velocity is in the 69th percentile if you need consistent production from a hitter in one of the best lineups in baseball right now i'd consider picking up Tavares. maybe some deep three outfield leagues but mainly in your five outfield leagues is where he should be rostered but yeah, he's been fantastic. I really didn't know he was doing that well, and he's been great. And lastly, shout out to Shohei Otani, who went two for four with two home runs, two runs, four RBI, and a walk. 
After this couple of home runs and a homer on both Wednesday and Thursday, Otani is tied with Pete Alonso for the most homers in baseball. He has an over 300 batting average, 22 homers, and 10 steals. Oh, and by the way, he also has a 3.38 ERA and a bunch of strikeouts. So, yeah, he's pretty unbelievable. Just give him the MVP already, right? Yeah, just give him the hardware. Yeah. Uh, so fun fact about that JT Real Muto's uh, performance was that that was the that was the first time a Philly has hit for the cycle since June 28th, 2004. Wow. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Little Piranha on the uh, Pitcherless Discord for that that little trivia piece. Um, yeah. So like you mentioned, though, you know, seven home runs, ten stolen bases. Like it was. I was actually kind of looking at you know looking at catchers because um, I'll be talking about Adley Rushman a little bit later. I was like, okay, who's doing well in the catcher spot? And then I sorted by stolen bases, and it's like JT Real Muto ten, and then like the, the next guy had like one, um, and so <laughs> yeah, uh, Real Muto for sure. Like like you mentioned, it it's been a little underwhelming for a guy who you know is expected to be the number one catcher, um, but just if you if you look a little bit deeper than you know kind of your basic slash line, like he's been doing really really well, um, and Phillies have been really good in June, um, so as that team continues to heat up and kind of gel, you know, they, they kind of went through a little bit of a lull in, in uh, April and May, but, but with Harper back now and kind of, you know, looking a little, a little bit more like his normal self and uh, Schwarber's again on a little bit of a hot streak here, which is nice. Casty, you know, is, is, is uh, kind of re re uh, rediscovering his stroke. Like, um, yeah, that team, I think it's, it's very much a situation where if everyone is doing well, Hey, Trey Turner is actually doing stuff now, surprisingly. Yep. Um, that team will look really, really good, you know, come, come mid July, come August, and they'll look like another threat in, in the NL East and, uh, in that, uh, NL pennant race. Yeah. That lineup is extremely scary when they're on. I mean, if you just look at the one through five, right, even one through seven, now that Stott and Bohm are doing pretty well, but you have Schwarber. You have Trey Turner, Real Muto, you have Harper, you have Castellanos, you have Stott, you have Bohm. That lineup is deep and scary. Yeah. So if they click like they seem to be doing right now, they can put up some numbers and it really is contagious, like I said. Offense comes in bunches and when they're on, it's going to be a nightmare for opposing pitchers. <laughs> Speaking of opposing pitchers, we move on to the pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, See Bold and the Beautiful from Nick Pollock. We start with James Paxton of the Red Sox, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Rockies. See, we tried telling you all to pick him up to stream him for this matchup specifically. Great job, John. I even took it a step further and told you all just to roster Paxton if he's out there. If you stream him for this start, hold on to him. If he's healthy and doing this... He's going to be great for you in fantasy. Paxton's curveball had a 45% CSW in this start, and his cutter went 18 for 21 on strikes. The big maple is back, and he looks dominant. Once again, if he's out there on your wire, pick him up and enjoy the ride for however long it lasts. Then we have Bryce Miller of the Mariners, who went six innings, pitched one earned run, one hit, three walks, and six strikeouts against the Marlins. This was a much-needed bounce-back start for Miller, who gave up 15 earned runs in seven innings pitched combined across his last two starts. Just a brutal line in the last two days for him, so it's great to see him come back to form. He was able to quiet the fish with his elite four-seam fastball. There's still worries about his secondaries overall, like his slider that currently has a 50% strike rate, but his fastball is so good that it almost doesn't matter. 
keep riding Bryce Miller and just hope that his secondary start to improve as the season progresses. Yeah, I was actually kind of disappointed because I was looking for James Pax in my home league and he was already picked up. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little, little sad I wasn't able to take advantage of this one. But yeah, great start from him. Um, and yeah, he's looking more and more consistent. And it is kind of a guy that you want to hold on to if you can. Yes, he was against Rocky Road. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why you could say that this was, uh, you know, luck. But at the end of the day, I think he looks like his normal self back, you know, before all the injuries, really. Like, he's had seasons basically taken away from him because of injury. Um, but right now, yeah, he's looking really solid. Like that curveball you mentioned, just doing damage. And Bryce Miller, yeah, like he, he had, you know, those two really, really poor starts. It, it was against a really good teams, so you can't really knock him for that. Um, but yeah, kind of where I'll talk about it a little bit later, but George Kirby, um, who's his teammate, has been able to develop really, really solid secondaries, uh, even though for a long time he was kind of known as known for his fastball. But maybe there's something that Bryce Miller can learn from there. Um, his, his slider is already, you know, pretty solid, but it just needs to it needs to a little bit be a little bit better so they can support that fastball. Yeah, with Paxton. He's only had one bad outing this season. It was against the Angels on May 24th, where he went three innings and had a 15 ERA. So he had a really poor start there, but every other start has been dominant. In every start, he's had eight or more strikeouts except for one, besides that one blow-up. So really awesome. I mean, a 3.09 ERA, a 1.16 whip, and 44 strikeouts in 32 innings pitched. James Paxton is back in full effect, guys. If he's on your wire, pick him up, because... Clearly, someone in John's league listens to our podcast and already grabbed him. Someone in my league listens to our podcast and apparently already grabbed him, too. When I tried to get him two weeks ago, he was already rostered. So, upsetting with that. But, yeah, Paxton's been great, and Miller is on his way back. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Tuesday, then, uh, thanks to Mark Steuminger for the Daily Hitting Recap article. Uh, we're starting with Kyle Farmer of My Twins, who went two for three with a double home run, runs, and a RBI. Uh, the big story of the night might be the other choice from the Twins, Carlos Correa, who did hit a walk-off two-run shot. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But Farmer was a big part of the Twins' win over the Brewers on Tuesday as well. Both his hits came off former NL Central rival Corbin Burns, including a homer off a middle-middle cutter. Farmer did miss some time early this season. Uh, if you recall, he got hit in the face by Luke's Giolito fastball. But in the last two months, yeah, he's been all right, right? He's put up three homers, had 10 RBIs, but had a 286 average, 343 OBP, 407 slugging. Not numbers that you should necessarily go out and chase, but in deep leagues and L-only leagues, he definitely still has some value as a middle or corner infielder, as the Twins have been pretty much trying to get his bat in the lineup. Most days, yes, sometimes that's as, as a pinch hitter, uh, but he's been pretty invaluable to the twins as a super utility man and um you know one injury here and there and he could be back to being in the starting spot uh for a little bit so uh kyle farmer definitely a guy to keep your eye on if you are in one of those very deep leagues opposite of him was christian yelich of the brewers went three for five with a double a homer two runs and four rbi the former MVP put together a couple extra base hits this game, and he's actually having one of the better seasons in recent memory. He's already equaled his home run total from 2021 and his steals total from 2022. The walk rate has dropped a little bit, but so has the strikeout rate. He's definitely outperforming his ADP now, and it looks like uh, Yelich is, is on his way for a really, really solid season. Um, you know, it's not necessarily an MVP candidate sort of season, but um, it is one that you could probably be very happy that you roster him. 
And a couple shout-outs here. Again, Carlos Correa has a 973 OPS and seven extra base hits in the month of June. He's looking every bit like the MVP candidate Twins fans were hoping for. And also had to mention Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles. Went three for five with one run, one homer, four RBI. He's now hitting 520, 538, and 1,040 in his last seven games with four bombs and two steals. And for those of you who don't love small sample sizes on the season, he is also slashing 241, 347, 461, which aren't terrible numbers. You know, that's around an 800 OPS. That's, that's still pretty solid for a guy who, you know, technically is in his sophomore season, um, but uh, for the most part is is bouncing back in, in a big way. So I don't have much to say really about Kyle Farmer. I think he's a great option for a middle or corner infield spot, like you mentioned, in AL-only leagues or 15-team leagues, something like TGFBI. Like, he gets the job done, but he really doesn't move the needle anywhere in counting stats. He'll get you some RBI and runs, but homers, he's not going to hit you too many steals. He's not going to get you very many, but he's got a good average, a good OBP. So Kyle Farmer is just a deeper league option. Christian Yelich has been incredible, like, something unexpected we expected him to be hurt by now or just kind of struggling a little bit because he hasn't looked too great in the past few years and he's got 16 stolen bases right now and nine home runs he's really taking advantage of the pitch clock and the bigger bases he is stealing like crazy right now and on yahoo he's a top 10 outfielder so yelich is really performing over his head and i think he can keep it up because it's not like he's doing anything crazy it's not like he's on a 40 home run pace, 40 stolen base pace, but he could definitely hit somewhere around 20 home runs and steal 30 to 35 bases if he stays healthy all season. And that's incredible. That's some great value that you got in your drafts. And then yeah, Carlos Correa has been much better as of late. And Gunnar Henderson, before this crazy last seven games, he was batting 200 for the season and he raised his average from 200 to 241. So if he keeps this trend up and he starts continuing to perform at this level, he is going to be every bit as advertised in the beginning of the year because he was an obvious favorite for rookie of the year. And then after that start, he just looked abysmal and he looks much more like that rookie of the year candidate that we all thought he was going to be. So for anyone that held on to Gunnar Henderson this season, kudos to you because he was borderline droppable and barely helping you at all, but you stayed strong and resilient and now he's helping you and paying off dividends. So congrats to Gunnar Henderson. Way to go. Yeah, actually, one funny thing about Yelich was um, his hard contact has increased, but his ground ball rate, like, is kind of around the same. And that was always the the issue with Yelich, right? Was that right. he's smashing all these ground balls like directly into the into the ground. So he actually hasn't necessarily improved in that at all. But when he's hitting the ball hard, at least sometimes now it's resulting in line drives and fly balls. So that's kind of helping those homer numbers look a little bit better and helping him get on base and get those steals. So. Yeah, Yelich for sure, one of those guys who um, is, like I mentioned, just completely outperforming his ADP, and um, gotta be pretty happy if he's on your roster. Oh, absolutely. Moving on to then the SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock, the separating story. Uh, we're going to start with Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers, who came up with a win against the White Sox. Six innings, zero earned runs, two hits, two walks, and six strikeouts. The 2022 All-Star is defying logic again, as he's currently fourth in the league in ERA and sixth in whip. Now, of course, the numbers are a little skewed because he's only had nine starts. Uh, already, he's had a few games in the past month where he's given up more runs than you'd like, but this was a start where everything worked out. Gonsolin's struggles are a lack of strikeout ability, and his poor command usually leads to a lot of walks. That usually isn't a recipe of success. Uh, so if someone is looking to trade for Gonsolin, 
I take advantage right now and sell medium high if, if someone is looking to do that. Uh, then George Kirby of the Mariners got the win against the Marlins. He went six innings with zero, er, zero earned runs, three hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. Kirby dominated the Marlins with all four of his pitches, the four-seamer, the sinker, the slider, and the curveball, all just generating strikes and making the batters look silly. The Kirby we wanted with the elite secondaries is finally here, and it seems unfair that Seattle can have this many good pitchers on their team, starters and relievers alike. And then finally, a shout-out to my boy Pablo Lopez, who despite having a bit of a rough inning in the third, courtesy of Christian Yelich, also managed nine strikeouts and had a 36% CSW. You love to see it. Yeah, Gonsolin has been looking pretty good this season, and we really didn't have too big of expectations for Gonsolin. Like, obviously, he's a good pitcher, but we weren't expecting him to put up as good of numbers as he has been this season. I mean, he's got a sub-2 ERA. That's pretty fantastic. A 1.93 ERA, 0.94 whip, 36 strikeouts, and 46.2 innings pitched is not really what you want to see. Obviously, you would like more strikeouts, but he's never been a big strikeout guy, but Man, this is way more than what you expected out of Tony Gonsolin, but he's kind of just keeping up what he did last season, right? He pitched 130 innings last season to a 2.14 ERA and a 0.87 whip, so I'm really not too surprised from Gonsolin, and I'm kind of surprised that he got so disrespected in drafts this season. I feel like he wasn't even being talked about, so kudos to anybody who drafted him because he's been on a roll. George Kirby also has been on a roll, barely walks anybody these days. It's incredible. Kirby and the Mariners staff looks great. I mean, Luis Castillo looks great. Logan Gilbert shows flashes of excellence. We had Bryce Miller. I mean, that whole staff is deep. And if Robbie Ray was healthy, they would be dangerous. So, yeah, big shout-out to the Seattle staff. George Kirby is awesome. Fun fact, my best friend is moving to Washington. And for his going-away gift, I got him an autographed George Kirby jersey. And it's cool because George Kirby's on his fantasy team in our home league. Kirby was from New York and moved to Washington, obviously, for Seattle. And that's what my best friend's doing is going from New York to Seattle. So it kind of made sense on all fronts. And it was a cool little gift there. So thought I'd shout that out. And Pablo Lopez was doing really rough, but it's good to see that he bounced back in a big way. Now, before we get into the performances from Wednesday and Thursday, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this. And we are back Moving on to Wednesday, June 14th from the Daily Hitting Recap article from Jim Chatterton, we've got Michael Harris, the second of the Braves. He went four for eight with three runs, one home run, four RBI, and one stolen base. Now, this was a doubleheader before you say, whoa, four for eight, what's going on here? The four hits and all of those stats actually came in the first game of the doubleheader where he went four for four. The next game he went 0 for four, which obviously isn't great, but regardless, Harris has turned things around in June. So far in the month, he has a 157 WRC plus with three home runs and two stolen bases. Obviously, the sophomore slump is a real thing, but I think Harris's struggles really had to do with that lower back injury that he went through in April. All of his underlying numbers look great, and his stat cast numbers are actually better than last season. On a recent episode of a podcast with Mookie Betts, Harris said that he really feels like himself again, and that he's back in his groove. He feels like he started to find his swing again and is finally healthy. So I think Harris is truly coming around and is going to have a strong rest of the season. His projections for the remainder of the season are phenomenal too. The buy low window is probably closed, but I'd try to get him for a discount anywhere that you can. John, little question here. What do you think his rest of the season numbers are? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
You know what? I don't think it's impossible that he, let's just say, hits 10 more homers and steals 20 more bases. Actually, 20 bases even seems a little conservative. Like, maybe it's like 25 or 30. Um, if he's if he's truly kind of like back to being fully healthy, um, I could see that being, you know, his speed has always, always been his calling card. So um, the, the power is just kind of a, an added bonus. Um, so maybe let's, yeah, so let's go 10 homers, 25 stolen bases. So I'm going to use rest of season ATC projections. Those are the ones I mainly look at. Shout out to Ariel Cohen, who does the ATC projections. They are fantastic. It's a composite of all of the other projections. So rest of season ATC has him at 317 at bats, 48 runs, 11 home runs, 43 RBI, 15 stolen bases, and a 261 average with a 313 OBP, 438 slugging, and 751 OPS. And if you get that for the rest of the season, that's phenomenal. And I think he can even outperform that if he gets on a hot stretch, which he currently is. So like you said, I think, you know, 10 homers, 20 steals is very possible for the rest of the season, especially with someone with his tools. So yeah, I'm looking forward to Harris. I was able to scoop him up in a league that he was dropped in and I'm very happy about it. I mean, he's really come a long way from where he started this season. And like I said, I just think he's healthy now. And that's the key for Michael Harris to continue to succeed is staying healthy and really finding his groove. Because like I said, the underlying numbers look really good and the rest of the season projections back that. So very much looking forward to seeing what he does for the rest of the season. Moving on to Jose Abreu of the Astros. He went three for four with a double, a homer, two runs, and three RBI. Abreu has been horrible this season and the underlying metrics look even worse. However, he seems to be heating up as of late. Abreu usually does better the warmer the weather, but warm weather doesn't change a 23rd percentile barrel percentage and 30th percentile average exit velocity. He hit his first home run of the season on May 28th, and in his last five games, he's hit three home runs, scored four runs, and drove in 10. Abreu's hard hit percentage is 45% in the last month, so maybe he's starting to come around from a really slow start. If a frustrated manager dropped him in your league, and maybe you lost Vinny Pasquantino due to that injury, it might be worth taking a flyer on Abreu if he's out there, but I'm not fully sold. The metrics still look pretty bad, but it's good to see that he's heating up and he's in a great lineup, so it might be worth taking the chance on him. And then I just wanted to highlight Ronald Acuna Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr., who both had ridiculous days. Over a doubleheader against the Tigers, Acuna went 4 for 8 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, 4 RBI, a stolen base, and 2 walks. He had a homer in each game and just continues to set baseball ablaze. The clear best fantasy baseball option out there right now with 15 home runs and 29 stolen bases. Like, come on, man. It's a video game to him. And then right on his tail, Fernando Tatis Jr. went 3 for 4 with 2 doubles, a homer, 2 runs, an RBI, a walk, and 2 stolen bases. Since returning from suspension, Tatis has looked like his usual self, and it's great to see 14 homers, 10 stolen bases in 217 plate appearances for Tatis so far. Just two guys that are absolute studs and will be studs for a long, long time. Yeah, at this point, I think we can give Acuna the National League MVP. Um, I know the Corbin Carroll yeah. people or want, want that, but Acuna has been, uh, yeah, just clearly the the favorite for that award. So, um, you know, obviously good pick for those guys who took him first in, in your drafts. Uh, but Jose Abreu is kind of the, the you know, the name of the game here, I think. For him, it's kind of funny because um, last I checked, it's kind of warmer in Houston anyway. So um, 
the whole heating up as of the whole like he gets better as the weather gets warmer well he's been playing in houston you know yep. for yep. half his games this season anyways so it's not like he's been playing in cold weather like right. he was in chicago um and yeah he's just been really bad um but maybe the metrics are showing that he could he's maybe coming around a little bit and like you said you know Vinny p you know a lot of people had him it kind of probably drafted him in, in similar ranges as jose abreu um, yep, definitely. i think he was like very clear, like maybe like a top five first baseman. And then there was a little bit of drop off, and then it was kind of a Bray at like maybe like seven or eight, I think. Um, but um, yeah, kind of they're in the kind of the same range. So you know, if you were initially baking on that um, that projection at the beginning of the season, probably doesn't probably is not a bad idea to trans- transition to a Bray and see if he can do something for you. Obviously, there's other guys on the, on the waivers, like probably maybe Christian Walker, maybe CJ Crone if you're, you know, those are more shadow league pickups, but those guys might be available and make more sense to pivot to instead of Abreu, but you never know. He could go on a little bit of a hot streak. Um, and so it, it's good to see at least that he's getting a little bit better in June, but to say that this is consistent yet, I would highly doubt that. In the preseason, in my first base rankings, I actually had Abreu and Pasquantino back-to-back. So great call on that. I think it was 7-8 and eight or 6-7. and seven. So, yeah, definitely a good shout-out on that. And, hey, if he's out there, like I said, you can replace Pasquantino with Abreu if he's available on your wire. But guys that are a little bit more hot, like a Josh Naylor might be out there. Christian Walker, like you mentioned, he should be rostered already. But if he's not, definitely grab him. So, yeah, if you're looking for Pasquantino replacements, Abreu might be a good answer, but... Still not buying it so much. And yeah, Acuna, I mean, we're not even done with June yet, and he's one stolen base away from 30. This is just getting out of hand. It's pretty ridiculous. Give him the hardware. But moving on to pitchers from Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article, Game Ranger from Nick Pollock. There were so many good pitching performances on Wednesday. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander had a classic pitcher's duel at City Field. Framber Valdez keeps dealing. Clayton Kershaw still going strong. Jose Barrios took a no-hitter into the seventh inning against the Orioles. Michael Waka is somehow still dealing. But I wanted to talk about two guys that are probably available on your wire that I think you should pick up if you can. First of all, we have Ranger Suarez of the Phillies. He went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. That's four straight quality starts for Suarez now, so that'll do. Nick pins him as a Vargas rule sort of guy, which is probably right, but I think that he's got the potential to be at least a Toby and someone that you roster in your league and can rely on, especially in a quality start league. The four-seamer only went three for 14 on strikes, and his changeup didn't look fantastic either in this one. If his command can fully come back, he seems like someone that can really help your fantasy teams out. He's got the Braves and the Mets next in a two-start week, so I don't feel too good about that, but he looks like the version of himself that was awesome in 2021. Suarez was able to do well against the Mets not too long ago, as well as the Dodgers, so you never know. He's worthy of rostering and seeing if it pans out. I think he can break that Vargas rule and just be a Toby, so keep an eye on Suarez if you can grab him. I would recommend it. Maybe not for this two-star week, maybe you bench him for it, but he seems kind of reliable right now. And then the guy I like the most from these two, Garrett Whitlock, who went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Rockies. 
That's a King Cole for Whitlock with a ridiculous 39% CSW on the day. His secondaries had a 28% swinging strike rate, and his sinker was thrown for 11 called strikes. His upcoming schedule is beautiful, and his last two performances were stellar against the Yankees and the Rockies. This seems like the beginning of what we were anticipating for Whitlock at the start of the season. The same thing that I said about Braxton Garrett and James Paxton, I'm going to say about Whitlock, just roster this guy. You'll be hearing a little bit more about him from John later, what those matchups entail, and a little hint-hint on the streamer recommendations. But man, he looks good. I definitely would grab him if you can. And obviously, it's not set in stone. He could be bad, but the schedule looks great. His stuff looks great, and that's a recipe for success. Yeah, I was kind of bummed that I didn't actually put Willock as a uh, streamer last week because, yeah, the matchup was great for him, and um, the the Red Sox are more than happy to stretch him out. Obviously, you know, the biggest thing with Whitlock for the longest time was, is he a reliever? Is he a starter? And the Red Sox are like, no, he's a, he's going to be a starter this year. And I think that's paid off dividends. Um, yeah, he, he looked really good last night. I was watching the start because I, I had him on my fantasy team. And um, yeah, he, he looked really good. He gave up a few big, you know, fly balls that kind of got a little dangerous out there. But um, a few bloop singles here and there. Uh, you know, against the Rockies, though, so never really did any damage. Um, but yeah, his next two starts are, are kind of nice. So uh, definitely, um, you know, hold on for that little announcement later in the in the episode. Speaking of just grid pitchers, I love that Michael Waka is like dealing. Um, it's just so <laughs> funny because uh, I, I kind of had him pegged as like a, a guy who kind of a sneaky, you know, end of the rotation guy for your fantasy teams because yeah. um, the Padres had had you know, we're, we're kind of looking for a guy and they're like, Oh, we'll take Michael Waka. And you know, everyone's like, Oh, you know, Nick Martinez is going to be the starter. Seth Lugo is going to be the starter. And lo and behold, Michael Waka is the guy who's held down that, that position for them. And um, I remember saying like, Hey, the Yankees really should have signed Waka. And um, you know, they're, they're having their own starter issues too with um, uh, you know, Severino finally coming back, but also Rodon still being unable to, to pitch. And um, yeah, for me, Michael Waka was like probably one of the better, under the radar signings of this offseason. Um, and he is yeah, still dealing for some reason. Out of all the pitchers on the Padres, you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, all these guys, Seth Lugo, Nick Martinez, Michael Walker has been their best starter. So pretty crazy to think that he's been their ace almost. You wouldn't pin him as that, but yeah, he's been great. He's been definitely someone that you can rely on as of late. And he just keeps dealing, man. You just can't stop the Walker train. <laughs> 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 yeah i uh it, and it'll keep you chewing until uh it runs out of gas but um yeah it's pac-man over there waka 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> just mowing down and uh, chewing down offenses yeah uh well on that note moving on to thursday uh with the hitters we're going to start with adley rutschman of the orioles he went three for five with a run a homer and an rbi that one homer was launched 103.6 miles an hour off Rushman's bat to left field, where Baltimore infamously moved the walls back, uh, eventually with a 394-foot shot. Uh, I, I think someone called it, like, Baltimore, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yep, I've heard uh, that. Yeah, so I, I think that's super funny. But yeah, Rutschman's clearly got... He's got he still has power. Um, compared to other stats, though, his, his counting stats have been a little bit lacking. Uh, but his main calling card is basically his average and his OPP. He's still kind of young. He's only 25. The power is, is probably still developing. Uh, you know, I think most people say that it doesn't really get to, you know, your full capacity until you're like 27, 28. But, you know, I don't know. That, that's just maybe what baseball nerds say. Um, 
he is about league average in terms of hard contact rate. So it's not like a fluke here where, you know, he's like, oh, he's actually, he can hit the ball hard. It's just not going. No, no, he doesn't really hit the ball hard that much. Um, but the thing is, the walk rate is still elite. And as long as he continues to get on base, good things will generally follow. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Bryson Stott of the Phillies. Uh, he's went two for five with two runs, a homer, and an RBI on Thursday. Uh, he's kind of an under-the-radar guy. Uh, and like you, like we said, he's on a team full of power hitters, Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper. Um, but the Phillies' second baseman has 10 steals along with a 300 average. Again, he's not wowing anyone in the power department, despite the 418-foot homer that he hit today in the second. But he's been a very solid contributor in multiple categories. He's currently rostered in 67% of Yahoo League, so it's unlikely that he's available in your league. But if he is and you need help at the middle infield spot, uh, maybe go check Bryson Stott out. Stott has been really reliable for middle infield, and he's been someone that you just grabbed because he had a hot streak, and he really hasn't stopped. He just keeps producing, and... We weren't really expecting it from Stott, but he's kind of cemented himself in this lineup and looks extremely, extremely good. He's been batting fifth and sixth constantly for this team, which, like we said, we went through that whole lineup. I mean, Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Castellanos, Rio Muto, and then Stott. He's just performing. I mean, he's got six homers, 10 stolen bases, 26 RBI, and a near 300 average. I mean, what more could you really ask for? from Bryson Stott. So he's been a great pickup. He's got second base and shortstop eligibility. Should be able to plug some holes for you if he's available on your wire. And then Adley Rushman, yeah, I struggle with Rushman because he's so good in OBP leagues. He's got a decent average and he does have power, but it really comes in bunches. I'm not really sold on him being a top three catcher yet. I still think, I mean, as long as Varsho qualifies, I still put Real Muto, Varsho, and Will Smith ahead of Rushman. Francisco Alvarez is now in the discussion as well, so maybe he's a top five catcher. I like Rushman a lot, but as long as he keeps continuing to get on base, like you said, good things are going to happen because the Orioles lineup has been fantastic. So Rushman's in the middle of an exciting Orioles team. He looks good. He's got so many years of being great ahead of him, so Rushman is definitely an exciting player. All right, moving on to pitchers then, we have Todd Bradley, who, uh, let's be honest, it was a eh, start. I don't, I don't really know. 4.1 innings, four hits, two in runs, three walks, but 11 strikeouts. Um, honestly, was kind of excited to talk about this because of those 11 strikeouts because he was uh, doing work in the first two or three innings, as some people would say. Uh, but ultimately, it was a little disappointing that he was pulled in the fifth and couldn't get the win here. He did get to 88 pitches, so it's not exactly the Rays being the Rays, it's just Bradley not being able to go five innings. Um, he's come down to earth a little bit after a couple of duds, uh, which were granted against the Blue Jays and the Rangers, so tough competition there. But it's good to see that the Rays are at least willing to let him pitch into games longer. As long as he can maintain a reasonable whip, that strikeout ability is going to help him for a long time. We just want him to go five innings if he can. And then Tyler Wells of the Orioles went 6.2 innings with five hits, two and runs, one walk, and eight strikeouts, including a win against the Toronto Blue Jays. I was a little worried when the Orioles actually sent Wells back into the game in the seventh, but he handled Matt Chapman and Kevin Kiermaier easily before Yanier Cano relieved him. Despite giving up two solo homers early in the game, Wells had a pretty solid evening with his two fastballs. The cutter and the four-seamer earned a combined 10 whiffs and 10 called strikes, and the secondaries were pretty decent as well. Of course, now he gets to face the Tampa Bay Rays, but that's life in the AL East. So, Taj Bradley, I'm so torn on what to do with him. I love his stuff. I think he looks great. He looks really confident on the mound as well. I mean, 
I don't know if you watched this start completely, but I was watching the entire thing, and this came against the Athletics, of course, which isn't the greatest team, although they've been very hot as of recent. But True. Yeah. Bradley had six strikeouts after two innings. He struck out every batter. He had yep. nine strikeouts after three innings, so he struck out the side three times, and that's just incredible. And he only had 48 pitches with nine strikeouts after three. And then all of a sudden, he starts, like, nibbling around the corners to the eight and nine batters and, you know, walking a few and then giving up a hit. It was just so disappointing. And the inning where he started giving up runs, he actually just had really bad defense behind him. Isaac Paredes botched a play, which could have been an inning-ending double play. Instead, it ended up being bases loaded. So that stunk. And then in the outfield, Manuel Margot got a horrible jump in a ball at center and dove for it and kind of like trapped it and didn't catch it. So I just am so torn with Bradley in quality start leagues. He's maddening, but what he Mm -hmm. reminds me of is last year's Christian Javier and Spencer Strider. Now I'm not saying his stuff is as elite as those guys, but Taj Bradley's fastball is definitely elite and his other pitches are pretty good too. But I dropped Strider and Javier last season after picking them up for a while because they never went six innings. And I thought, hey, they're never going to go six innings. They're going to monitor their pitches, and it's going to be maddening. And I feel the same way about Bradley right now. So I don't really want to drop him in any of my leagues because I see the potential. I mean, 11 strikeouts, even though it was against the A's, 11 Ks, 9 of 9 on strikeouts to start the game. That is just remarkable, and that's upside you can't really find elsewhere on the wire. So I'm inclined to just hold on to him. Obviously, the Rays are never going to be pushing him and letting him go six, seven innings often. But mm-hmm. I think regardless, he's going to give you good ratios and great strikeouts. Hopefully they'll start letting him go six and warming up to that. And he'll be able to get those quality starts, but he pitches for the raise. So he'll get you wins. He's got great strikeout upside. I just see so many good things with Bradley, but man, is it frustrating, especially in a quality start league. I just don't know what to do. I'm like rattled in my brain here because of Bradley. And then Tyler Wells has been fantastic this season. He's had a 3.24 ERA, a 0.85 whip, a strikeout per inning pretty much, 74 Ks and 75 innings pitch. After this one, he actually has more Ks than innings pitch by one. And his last two starts against the Royals and the Blue Jays were the exact same lines. 6.2 innings pitched, 2.70 ERA, 0.90 whip. He just had four more strikeouts against the Blue Jays. So Tyler Wells has been having a fantastic season. And if you picked him up off the wire, I'm sure you are happy about it. Yeah, I mean that that's what I did. I'm pretty pretty excited about the fact that he yeah, he was able to do this against the Blue Jays. But uh, to kind of to add to your point on Todd Bradley, like uh, honestly, he it feels like he's his worst enemy here when it comes to getting to six innings. Like um the Rays are letting him go, you know, 80 80ish pitches. I, that's that should be enough for a guy of his caliber to get to six innings. Um obviously you'd love to see him they them let him go to 100 pitches. Uh but it's the Rays. I mean, they they they're going to you know, not do that, but um, yeah, I just wish that uh, he was maybe a little bit more effective with those pitches, and you, you don't love those three walks, even though it's less than a walk per inning. Um, it's just you know, for a guy of his caliber, he should be be able to walk walk less. Yeah, and those walks really came in the latter part of his start, where he kind of didn't run out of gas or energy because he was still striking out people, and his stuff looked great. But right, two batters, he walked on four pitches. So Mm -hmm. there's got to be something. I mean, he was getting squeezed a little bit by the umpire. If you look at the charts and stuff, there were some borderline calls that didn't go his way. Maybe some of those four-pitch walks 
could have ended up being a strike in his favor. But, yeah, I think he just has to settle down later in the game and really hone in on that command later on because if he loses that command, that's when he starts walking people and getting into trouble, then blue pits happen and bad defense behind him. Like, that's when it all starts to crumble. So, yeah, you're right. He is his own worst enemy. And if he could just iron out that command later on, I think he could be so good. Yeah, it's it's he's he's clearly one of the most talented rookie pitchers in this in this um in this league right now. So uh, if he can if he can clean that up, like he'll be he'll be pretty dominant for years to come. I completely agree. And speaking of dominant pitchers, let's get into the streamers for next week. John, who do you have for us this time? Yeah, well, we already spoiled a little bit, but Garrett Whitlock of Boston, he's currently 35% roster in Yahoo, 13% roster on ESPN, so he should be available in your leagues. He just came off that start against the Rockies, and now gets rewarded with two more poor offenses in a beautiful two-star week. He gets the Twins uh, and then the White Sox to round out the week. And while both offenses do have some pop in them, it could tear out five-plus runs any day, right? You've got Carlos Correa, you've got Buxton on the Twins, uh, Alex Kirilov and Royce Lewis. But then on the White Sox, you know, you've also got Luis Robert Jr., who's very capable of uh, tearing the cover off the ball. But the thing is, all those teams are inconsistent, and that makes Whitlock a very good stream in a weekly league if you uh, are in that sort of situation. Uh, second guy is Louis Varland of Minnesota. He's 21% rostered on Yahoo, 9% on ESPN. You might want to keep track of this one because this start also could end up being Kentamaeda, depending on how he's feeling if the Twins take him uh, off injured list and send Varland back to AAA. Uh, but if Varland does start, he's been a pretty solid, pretty solid streamer. He's had a couple blowups. One of them was against Tampa, and the other one was against Toronto, and that specific one against Toronto wasn't completely his fault because the defense wasn't that great behind him. Uh, he gets a pretty soft matchup in Detroit, though, and while the stuff isn't overpowering, it's definitely good enough to handle a team like the Tigers. And then finally, this one's more kind of a joke one, but uh, I thought I'd put it in. Yanni Chirinos of the Rays. He's currently 2% rostered on Yahoo, 1% rostered on ESPN. I don't know what they're, the Rays are trying to do with Chirinos. Just classic Rays being Rays, I guess. They let him start against the Twins, and then they had him as the main pitcher against Oakland, although Jalen Beeks was the opener there, so he ended up only pitching like 3.1 innings. Um, in both games, he was limited, even though the Rays let him go up to 80 pitches before he got injured. So he got injured, and then they, they brought him back, and now he's at like kind of like 60 pitches. Honestly, I don't even know why I'm suggesting him as a streaming option, but if there's one team where Trinos could probably get five innings and qualify for a win, despite being on a limited pitch count, it's the Kansas City Royals. Chirinos doesn't have great stuff. He doesn't have great strikeout numbers at all. But he's only walked one batter in his last two games and given up only one earned run, and that's why he's being recommended. So I like this list a lot. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Garrett Whitlock, who, like I mentioned before, just roster him. Pick him up for this start. Keep him on your team. He's got that beautiful two-start week coming up. And then I don't know what the rest of his schedule looks like, but... I like his stuff, and I think it plays against any team. We've already seen him do well against good teams like the Yankees. So I think Whitlock is someone you should just roster. Louis Varland has some excellent stuff. We really don't know what's going to happen with his fate in the lineup once Maeda comes back. But I really like this stream against the Tigers. Anybody against the Tigers, I'm a big fan of. And then Yanni Chirinos, yeah, very interesting suggestion here. Obviously, this is something that if you need innings and good peripherals in a deeper league that's who you stream I mean I like anybody against the Royals so Yanni Chirinos why not if I had to rank them once again probably in that order Whitlock then Varland and then Chirinos so yeah these are all good options once again I think Whitlock should just be rostered I think Varland should just be rostered as well but once again we don't know his fate with Kenta Maeda returning hopefully soon 
So those are the pitcher recommendations for streaming. And then for my hitting recommendation, I have one suggested name, and that's Nick Prado of the Royals. He's currently 10% rostered on Yahoo. And with Pasquantino getting injured, Prado has been getting everyday playing time. He's been batting leadoff for the team and having pretty decent results. The stat cast metrics don't look too promising, but he's only 24 years old and has always had a lot of potential. The main reason why I like him for next week is first of all because the Royals play seven games, so if you want a bat that's going to play every day, he's your guy. Second of all, four of those games come against the Tigers on the road. Over the last 15 days, the Tigers are 26th in staff ERA with a gross 5.18 ERA. Their next three games after that are against the Rays, who have been second best in staff ERA in the same time frame. But if you're in a deeper league or need a bat that can give you some counting stats for the week, give a look to Prado. So I think he can help you in those deeper leagues or if you just want a possibly hot bat for a week. I don't think he's anything super huge, but I can see him tearing up the Tigers pretty well. Yeah, the problem with Prado is that he is a uh, three true outcomes hitter with no power. So yeah, uh, he strikes out a lot. And he walks a lot, which is great. Uh, but he he hasn't really shown any power, like you mentioned. The Statcast metrics just aren't that great. Um, but he does he does have a good bat in terms of contact, right? Um, two seventy eight average, three sixty two OBP. If you look at expected stats on Pitchless, he has a two sixty two expected average, which is pretty close to his actual average. And a 352 expected Woba, which isn't exactly OBP, but it does correspond a lot. Um, so it his bat is real in terms of getting contact, and he does a really good job of getting walks. So especially in OBP leagues, if you yeah if you need help there at first base, um, I, technically I think Prada only has outfield eligibility. He might have first base eligibility as well, uh, depending on where you pl- uh, play fantasy. But um, yeah, I actually think that's that's not a bad uh, pickup because he is going to kind of be the everyday guy for them. Uh, as far as I know, they don't really have a lot of other uh, solid first basemen in Kansas City. Prado has batted leadoff in 12 of his last 13 games once he batted 7th. So I think he's pretty solidified as their leadoff hitter at the moment. He does have first base and outfield eligibility on Yahoo, so a little bit of versatility there. And he's hit four home runs in 43 games, so he doesn't have a lot of pop, but he's got some pop. So I think that against the Tigers at Detroit, which is a better hitter park than Kaufman, which I think they're kind of parallel, but Detroit's a little bit better. And then against the Rays, he faces Yanni Torinos. I think he avoids Shane McClanahan. If he does, then that's even better. So just as a nice play, if you need a hot bat for maybe an injury plug-in or just someone to ride out for the week, I think Nick Prado's not a bad shout. But that's all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go please follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the PitcherList podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.